Blair, and welcome to the Homeschooling Family Podcast by Teach Them Diligently. Here, we discuss just about everything that comes into play when you're a Christian homeschooling family. I'm Leslie Nunnery, and on today's podcast, I'm joined by Linda LaCour Hobar, who's the author of The Mystery of History. We'll be talking about grading and how the better you understand your child, the more insight you'll have about how to assess what they're learning. I think you'll be both encouraged and challenged. Now, I wanted you to know that this conversation was originally recorded as part of our Teach Them Diligently at Home event, which featured hundreds of video workshops and live chats from some of the best speakers in the Christian homeschool community. You can still get access to that event. So go to teachthemdiligently.net forward slash at home to learn more. Before we jump in today, I wanted to take a second to thank Bipre Wellness for sponsoring today's podcast. Bipre is a comprehensive brain health company providing tools for a healthier brain. To learn more, visit bipre.com forward slash TTD. That's B-I-P-R-I dot com slash TTD. Or you can follow Bipre Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. And now let's talk about grading. Hey, you guys, welcome back. Today, I'm super excited to have Linda LaCour Hobar here to talk about grading. Now, Linda Hobar is the author of Mystery of History. And before I throw it over and let her tell you a little bit more about herself, I want to lay a little foundation here because when David and I started homeschooling lots of years ago, the very first resource that we got that was kind of out of a mm-hmm. box, not, you know, not as structured as a box curriculum, was Mystery of History. And it quickly became our favorite resource. It remains probably my favorite resource of all time. Um, We have gone through all four books and one and two in particular multiple times. So Linda, it is so exciting to have you here. If you could tell us a little bit about who you are and maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit about why you wrote Mystery of History before we jump in. Sure, sure. First of all, so good to see you, Leslie. I wish it were in person, but this is great. Well, let's see. We have three children that we homeschooled for 17 years. They're now grown, so we have grandchildren in the mix. And as far as why, now what was your question? Why we homeschooled or why I wrote the Mystery of History? Well, let's start with why you wrote Mystery of History, because we're going to spend a lot of time talking about homeschooling here in a minute. True. I love Mystery of History, so I wanted to get you to talk a little bit about that first. Okay. Well, honestly, like so many, I was always doing my research on what we were going to be teaching and when. And when it came to world history, I was a little stumped on this one. I just couldn't find exactly what I wanted out there because one thing I really was interested in was chronological world history. Because growing up, that is what most of us miss. Rarely do we ever see like Bible history and world history lined up together. And to me, I'm talking about all history being chronological, including biblical. So anyway, to make a long story, story short, I was in prayer for a whole year about a new something in my life that didn't yet have definition. When there was a day, Leslie, I feel like the Lord gave me, like whispered to me, the mystery of history. I kid you not. I was chopping vegetables in my kitchen. I remember it so vividly. And that to me was God's answer to this prayer. I had been praying of this other thing with 
I had so many interests, including world history and teaching my kids. And so when he gave me the title, it's like I knew what that was. I knew that the mystery for one would be the gospel just dropped into history. And then the rest, really, he provided for the chronological unrolled to where today I do have four volumes out, but it is all to his glory because naturally speaking, I should not have written a world history curriculum. Yeah, no. And the way that it's written, I love the conversational style of it. I love, like you said, how you know what was going on in the rest of the world when Ruth and and Boaz were happening in Israel. And it's really, really amazing to be able to connect those dots and bring those Bible accounts even more to life because they're placed in the historic, the grand historical timeline. Yes. Yes. I think it just helps our Bible feel so much more reliable. Yep. It really does. It's It's been a blessing to our family. And so we are grateful for that little whisper in your ear that kind of gave clarity to, to what God was calling you to do. But back to that 17 years of homeschooling, yes. um, that, that gives you a lot of experience and a lot of legs to stand on here. So today we're going to talk about grading and, and you kind of approach it to grade or not to grade. So what what can you tell us about that? Why, why do you approach it that way even? Yes. Well, oh, there's so much to say. And just please know these are excerpts out of an entire hour long workshop that I normally do titled to grade or not to grade. But I'm just going to hopefully pull a few nuggets out today for the busy moms. And one reason I think it's a legitimate question is because we all come to the table, certainly with different experiences and different philosophies. I also think we have these myths that are embedded in us. So tell me if you've heard of these. Okay, I'll give you three quick myths and we need to be myth busters here. And because all of these, I believe, interfere with our decision on grading. So the first myth would be that grades are an accurate measurement of learning. Hmm. Well, I don't think so. You know, there is a lot that can go on in the soul and in the mind that we can't really document on paper, don't you think? So, and honestly, some grade may just test students ability to take a test rather than really test them on what they know right so certainly we know some verbal children can just spew things but not get it on paper okay number two there is a myth that high grades define success not only of the student but maybe of the teacher I certainly think we, as homeschool parents, get a little angst over their, the kids' tests because it reflects on us. But anyway, that is a myth because, again, success, we have to be careful how we define it because when you were learning, oh, it could be so intangible. And your success one year may be that you actually conquered a behavior problem or something else like that. So we know that life just isn't always in a perfect little cookie cutter. So a third myth would be that grades are motivational. And I don't need to share with the crowd here, but we know certain personality types just are not going to be as highly motivated as others, not by a letter and a grid. So anyway, if these are all fairy tales, then you may be wondering why would we still address grades? Well, I am still a firm believer in them for some subjects at some ages and for some students, because I still think, despite the myths, I think grades can help us reinforce a work ethic, 
Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness, we could have a whole session on work ethic today, how important that is and what a lost art that is. But second, I think grades can help us discover problems or perhaps reveal problems. So they, they serve a place there. And then also they can, if nothing else, provide us with guidance for our students' futures. Like grades are going to kind of help us see a little outline, a little foreshadowing of who they are, what they're really capable of when it comes to what higher education. Are. I mean, it's it, yes. as you're as you're evaluating whether you assign something to it or not, but as you're evaluating and keeping up with your student, you get a lot of insight into where their strengths lie and what's going to be more challenging and not really in their wheelhouse. Yeah, um, absolutely. And that, mm-hmm. that does, even in my experience, help you set curriculum choices for the next year and so on even, um, mm-hmm. so, you know, even as short term as that. Yeah, so they serve their place. So if we could go back for a second to philosophy, let me tell you what I feel like so many of us bring to the table and we don't even think about it. This just happens naturally, but by our temperament, by our family dynamic, or maybe by our family size. So there tend to be very relaxed homeschoolers and then there's very rigid. So here's the spectrum. Now, clearly the relaxed homeschool, we might even call them unschoolers. And those are just your free spirits. I think that is so appropriate and so legitimate for those with really young children, maybe those with particularly gifted children, maybe those with such eager learners. You know, there are some little guys, especially your little seven-year-olds, you know, they're so curious. They don't need parameters to get the job done. You can barely contain them. There are those natural learners. A little side note, when it comes to gifted children, um, you know, I think the the theory might be that the gifted would be the easy ones to teach because they're so smart, but mic drop, um, actually, like some gifted students can actually be very challenging to teach because they, they may have heightened senses along with their giftedness, as in they are so easily aggravated by tags and by sound and by smell and a whole host of things, their heightened senses actually can make them real challenging. So let's not assume that that's easy just because they might be real bright. Anyway, needed to say that. Let's go back to our rigid. So on the other end of the spectrum, certainly there are some of us who bring to the table maybe a rigid personality. Perhaps you're a former teacher in a classroom where all due respect to teachers of classrooms, they certainly need a certain level of rigidity. They're managing 30 students at a time, so you might bring that to the table. All to say, they're legitimate on both ends, and my hope is that homeschoolers would find that balance between perhaps the overly relaxed or the overly rigid. Certainly, you know, one formula does not fit all. I have a confession to make. Uh, Leslie, if I were to describe my homeschool years. For one, I think we were very eclectic. I tend to be a free spirit myself. But I think that I had this mentality maybe at 9 a.m. that we were more on the rigid side. I certainly had lofty goals because I'm an idealist. So I always had these grandiose plans (laughs) for our day. But inevitably, because of my temperament and because I had real children, it was as if we always sort of devolved into a very unschooling mentality by about 2 p.m. I certainly decided that that was the best teaching style known to mankind and legitimately so. So I'll just say I usually morphed from rigid to relaxed. Uh, would you agree that that's a common experience? Please say yes. <laughs> oh, I, I do. I'm actually, I, I am more, rela- I'm not to the unschooler relaxed, but 
And it may just be what God puts in your hand. We have been, we started Teach Them Diligently at the end of our first year of homeschooling when we knew nothing. So we've been doing all of this together. And that kind of forces you to be a little bit more relaxed and to look at things a little bit differently. But but yeah, I think a lot of us as we grow and as you know, as, as our days move on, we recognize there's a balance in the middle that probably fits homeschooling a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So true. Well, another thing, there are, there are several tools, I think, that can help you assess to kind of where you are, or maybe where you should be. So here's just a fun one. This is just sort of a, uh, let's just call this the animal assessment. I don't know what you want to call it, but look at your children, maybe at, <clears throat> look at their personalities as whether or not they tend to resemble cats, which would be highly independent or if they're monkeys who are jumping all over the place or if you have like golden retrievers those compliant children who really are going to just get their job done no matter what you do right or wrong uh do you want to hear my kids i i do because i have not actually even heard this this assessment so i'm on okay well maybe because i made it up but (laughs) (laughs) because this is this is the way i look at my children but it really kind of helped me so Honestly, my oldest would very much be cat-like in her personality. So she was very independent, a very bright girl with those heightened senses. So sometimes that was difficult. But she really, if anything, would kind of push me away like a cat would. Because for one, she was better at math than me. So she knew that I was only going to slow her down because she was one of those number girls. I'm like words, she's numbers. So, and she also, because she tended to be more structured by nature where I'm not, she began to make her own lesson plans in fifth grade. It's a true story. I wasn't making lesson plans for her when she was in fifth grade because my idea of a lesson plan back in the day was that I would write down what we did after we did it. Well, newsflash, that's not lesson planning. That's good record keeping. Exactly. (laughs) Anyway, that was enough for me. But in fifth grade, she began to indicate she needed more, so she made her own. Okay, so that was my cat. But then, oh, here comes child number two, my son sandwiched in all these girls was really my monkey. You can just picture a day in the life of a bouncy boy who is literally crawling all over us and it's rough and tumble and it's interruptions and it's like he just and I felt like I was homeschooling a monkey particularly when it came to his work he wanted me right next to him. You know he would wrap himself around me a lot of excessive hugging for procrastination. Yes. Mm -hmm. A lot of that. But then child number three, we sort of struck a balance there. And I would say she really was my golden retriever. And so the good and the challenge of that is that she was very diligent and a hard worker. However, her love language was quality time, meaning that she really did want me right there highly involved because she wanted the feedback. So out of that you know, that made our day look a little different than the cat who I could send upstairs to do her math by herself. Now, I'm sure there's some other animals that we could probably incorporate. Maybe, maybe it's a fun thing you could do with your kids is try to have them lead them toward trying to find that animal they're most like, because sometimes we just have to laugh at our weaknesses. Like, I would say I probably resemble maybe I'm a yappy Pomeranian. You know, like just because, you know, they have big hair and they yap. I don't know. Um, so I digress. That's, <laughs> no, that's, that is really, really interesting, though. And and even as you're laying out those three types, I mean, I can see 
you know, the characteristics of those in my different children. And actually going back to your gifted comment a little while ago too, one of the thing, one of my children is, is academically very, very bright. It mm -hmm. is very, very, uh, would be deemed gifted, but so disorganized that oh. that's where the challenge with that one comes in is, and that's actually why grades decry the intelligence because He's so disorganized that he shoots himself in the foot. Now he's getting better. He's getting older. You know, he's kind of growing into his brain a little bit. Sure. But we called him the absent-minded professor the whole time up because so smart. He remembers everything, but you know, he'll leave a test on his bed and not turn it in forever. So, you know, yeah. it's just like, that's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as a pop quiz, let's go back to my cat, my monkey, and my golden retriever. So who do you think needed the grades the most, at least on paper? Um, I would imagine the cat did. That would be my answer too. Yes, yeah. I feel like she truly needed them. Now, who do you think wanted grades the most out of just feedback? Uh, the golden. I would think yes, the golden. the golden retriever. And then who really didn't care much about grades, but who needed them for behavior reasons? And for accountability and stuff would probably be the monkey. Absolutely, yes. Now. I can be a little bit more sophisticated than just the animal rule. So I have another one for you. Okay, Leslie. Okay. So on a little more lofty level, <clears throat> there is a man named Anthony Gregoric. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he wrote a book called Mind Styles. And in it, he does describe the human brain in a couple of different ways. This is really fun. And I applied this to my Mary Martha talk. I applied this to how to do a dateless lesson planner. So Hang with me here. First, he would say that people tend to think either in concrete terms or abstract. So concrete meaning that people tend to gravitate toward, you know, the person who sees everything right or wrong, black or white, just, you know, it, it is what it is versus the abstract person that's just kind of out there, a bit more scattered. Nothing's quite as clear to that person. Now, hold on to those thoughts. Besides how we think the way we process our thoughts also may be very different, as in people tend to process their thoughts either sequentially, in an order, or randomly. So you can already guess where I'm headed with this. If you were to take a person who is both rather concrete, mm -hmm. tangible, and also sequential, well, you have on, on your hands a a thinker, a doer, kind of a, a Martha type, right? But if you have on your hands, a person that is abstract and random. Oh my goodness, you have like a feeler extraordinaire, right? This is your Mary. Um, <clears throat> so go back to your thinker doer and obviously that person thrives so much more on a schedule. They, this person measures life by how productive they are. Productivity is the key word. So that means that they can measure time, they can measure money, they can measure distance. And yes, that person would want to measure grades. But your feeler, dreamer, your little free spirit, they measure their life by experience. I can attest to this. So their day goes by a whole different grid than the thinker doer. So your little dreamer resists a schedule please give them grace for that. They thrive in the intangibles. That's the person that's really gonna 
be out there thinking of beauty and creativity and love and joy and peace and the things that are just difficult to, to capture on paper or to measure. Now, fortunately, there's a few out there that are a nice, healthy mix of those things, and we don't have to worry about them. But the other ones that tend to be extreme, so here's again, here's your pop quiz, Leslie. So who wants and needs a grade? Or let's just say wants. That would be your Marthas that, that yes. they want to quantify things. Yes, absolutely. And then the one who just doesn't care or won't be motivated by it. You have your Marys. Clearly, your feelers, your dreamers. I do want to insert this. I know that some moms, if they tend to be thinker doers, are really worried about their little free spirits. Well, I want to say on behalf of all free spirits out there, don't lose hope. <laughs> I think I am one to a T, and yet I would define myself as having been successful because the Lord can do things in our lives and channel us exactly where he wants us. So our world needs both. So don't be disheartened by your, by your free spirits. They, they can turn out. I do know my mom used to say, well, Linda, if you'd ever do one thing, you might be good at it. But I was all over the place for many years. Till I got the call to write the mystery of history, then I focused. Okay, well, Leslie, with our time, because I know um, we don't want to keep your listeners too, too long, but I would like to hone in now on different age groups yes. and the different needs they have. So we'll go there. I hope it's obvious from what I've already shared that when it came to my youngest students, well, certainly I would keep the fewest amount of grades on them. I don't feel like I barely need grades for my little guys. Now, on my middle student, I'm going to keep more grades. And on my oldest student, I'm going to keep the most because they're high schooler. But let's go specifically, let's go back to the young ones. I kind of have like three little points on each age group. So the younger, you know, what they do need is one-on-one -on -one instruction because most of them are not reading yet. And since they're not reading, that means you literally are sitting side by side with that child doing so much with them, those really are the precious lap years where you're together because they're not reading yet. And so do I need a grade to see if they understood something we just talked about or just read about? Not really. I am over their shoulder and can see if they can get two plus two. I'm just right there for immediate feedback. Therefore, the high involvement means low need for grades and record keeping. That's honestly why I didn't do a lot of yeah. real detailed lesson plans when they were little. Now, the second thing that they do legitimately need is positive reinforcement without grades. Because let's just say we were working on a little row of math problems together. If they're missing them all, am I going to hand that student an F and deflate their little spirit? Well, absolutely not. Those are going to turn into redos. Like, honey, I, I guess you're not catching how we carry that in the next column. So let's redo that together. And out of that... Again, what they need is positive reinforcement for what they were able to get, and they need work on what they can't. And then number three, I think these little guys, <clears throat> and I shouldn't even have to say this, but we'll just put it out there. They certainly need acknowledgement of what they do, right or wrong, because you're their cheerleader. If you don't love their work, who will? So they certainly need acknowledgement. That might be stickers and smiley faces. And then the things they're not getting, they may just be telling you that they're not ready and to scale back. You know, some experts say that children can't really learn, learn, following all the steps of education till they're 12 or 13, some students, just based on, you know, their logic skills kicking in. But that's another topic for another day. <laughs> I won't yeah. debate that. 
I think but, that those little ones, you know, like you were saying before, one of the things that I always found when my, my kids were younger was I didn't need to assign a grade per se because mm -hmm. I was right there with them every single step. So I knew if they were getting the concepts or if they weren't, I was, it, it, there was no getting, you know, behind like I have tended to in high school from time to time where they're kind of pushing their own way. There's, I'm right there. I can, I can help them get the concept, even if it means we walk away today and come back another day, but there's no grade needed to, to make sure that they get it because of that level of involvement. And I love the way that you noted that. Yes, yes, and that involvement is precious. That is certainly where we are building foundationally and investing into our kids with the relationship. So the relational side of homeschooling really comes into play there. But let's move on to the middle student. So we're talking about that one from, I don't know, fifth or sixth grade, maybe through eighth. Now, they're the ones who I feel need to be weaned away from the one-on-one -on -one involvement, one-on-one -on -one instruction for several reasons. You really, if you're doing your job well, you're working yourself out of a job because once they can read and follow basic directions, or one, you may be homeschooling other ones that are little, but really you're beginning now to see if they can understand and follow through. And clearly, if I'm leaving a student semi-independent and I'm seeing some grades come up that are, let's just say I see a lot of C's, personally, I'm not going to be happy with that and I'm going to work harder with them. That means I'm going to go back to some one-on-one -on -one instruction to I'm aiming for A's and B's. I don't need perfection, but I would like to see A's and B's to show a little better understanding or mastery of it. But let's say if I see a string of D's and F's, well, honestly, I, it's not that I'm to be upset with that. It's like I'm to use that then as a grid. Those are flags telling me that something's going on, like where I had an expectation that that could be figured out, it's not. So are there some vision issues? Are there some comprehension issues? Are there some... Uh, you know, hearing issues, what is the learning style? So yeah, I, I would look then at the middle student as poor grades are revealing and telling. So I'm not gonna punish a student for poor grades, particularly at that age, if they're giving me their best. Now they may not be, and we'll come back to that in a second. <laughs> there, there's one other thing that those- yeah. can do. I'm getting to that one. <laughs> but let's just say, let's go back to though, uh, just a second level of, Kind of a simple thing on grades, but but maybe somebody needs to hear this. Let's say if you have chosen now because they're in middle school, you're going to keep some grades because you're working toward a more rigid homeschool than what you were. All right. Let's say you've morphed now from more relaxed to more rigid and you're going to choose some grades and some subjects that call for it. I highly recommend that you use the fractional approach to keeping grades, which is simply where you take on the numerator, it's the number they got right over the denominator, which is the number that were on the page. Yep. For example, 13 out of 15. Now, as simple as that is, it does do a couple of things. First of all, it draws attention to the positive. Like, hey, pal, you got 13 right out of 15. Like, yay. So instead of a minus two, it's a yep you got 13. The other thing, if you just didn't know, is that if you actually plug into the calculator, like let's see my example, I think it's like 13 over 14. If you do that as a division problem, it'll spit you out like a 0 0.9 something, yeah. drop the decimal, round it, and like you have a 93. Right. Then on a scale of one to 100, most of us know what to do with that. A 93 to most would be an A. By the way, there are different grading scales out there, so look into that. And uh, I think the simpler, the better when they're younger, but as they get older, certainly go to a more strict grading scale if you're going to be, you know, 
keeping up with your community. So anyway, so that was just about fractional grades. I love fractional grades. They're all so easy, Leslie, and I'm sure you figured this out, but like sometimes if you just want to know in the middle of the year where you are, well, you can add up all the, all the numerators and write it down, add up all the denominators, write it down, and do the math again, and you can get like an overall average. So for a checkpoint. But anyway, back to the middle student. You know, if nothing else, I think grades, especially in middle school, are such a tool for measuring their work ethic. Mm -hmm. mm. Certainly, there is the question, did they do what you asked them to do in the amount of time that you asked them to do it? And if they're not, well, this may not have anything to do with the curriculum. This may be a respect issue. This could be an obedience issue. So you have a whole nother thing going on. But think about this. Are they going to test the system? Most will. Like, wonder what she'll do if I just don't do any of it. <laughs> I mean, some students are going to ask that. But think about middle school. It's so rough anyway. Those middle schoolers need so much encouragement. You know, they're awkward at this age and they're in the throes of puberty where some things are growing and other things are not and it's never at the right time in the right place. So with all that going on, certainly I think a grade may be a necessary behavior tool for the middle students as they're beginning to mature. But you have to write down those grades you're keeping because if you don't record them, well, then you've really lost the leverage that you gained by even taking down that grade. And again, this is still for the more concrete subjects. I'm not going to keep a grade on some subjects. I'll, like with an elective, I may give it a pass fail or in Bible to me, that was a hard subject, but math, spelling, some things are concrete enough for test. And also, I want to say this I certainly would not enjoy issuing poor grades to a struggling student. If I'm seeing again a consistent struggle, well then I'm going to do my own homework and see what we need to do to make some adjustments with either the curriculum or how they're, you know, maybe getting out their answer and stuff like that, look at learning styles. But honestly, if, <laughs> if I see a student just being lazy and not working hard, I'm not that merciful with that student. And I would be quick to hand out some low grades for the lazy student who just won't turn in things to me because I am, you know, one of the goals of homeschooling, we're not just filling their memory banks with educational pieces, right? We are developing character. We're training them for adulthood. And so really finishing a job is incredibly important. I have a story to tell of an F that I handed out once. Okay, <laughs> you're ready. So one of my favorite stories. It's just so silly, but your people will laugh, I hope. So one day, my son was handing in a math page for me, and he was required to do, I don't know, it was like 30 problems. I'm pretty sure we were doing Saxon math, which you know has a lot of review. So after we worked together, because remember, he's a monkey, so we worked together first on like learning the new concept, but once it was his turn to go do it independently, he would turn it into me. Well, in middle school, he always did these goofy things, and he would put different names on his paper, like take on secret identities and such. So one day, he handed in a paper, and the title, his name at the top was Christopher Exotica. Now, <laughs> he's about 14. I don't know if he even knew what that was. I don't even know if I know what that was, but it wasn't really, certainly wasn't his God-given name. And clearly, his mind wasn't on algebra that day. It was on whatever. And so then on top of that, he left half of it blank. He just didn't do it. Yep. So the question is, what do you do with that paper? Was he testing me in the system? 
I think so. His mind wasn't on math that day. I thought he would just see if that could sail through and nobody would notice. So to make a long story short, I needed to issue an F on that paper. And then I had to record that because if I didn't record it again, I lost the leverage for why I bothered to take the grade. And certainly the life lesson that day was about respect. It was about, you know, not being crude. It was about obedience. So yeah, I, I would have lost all that had I not graded it and recorded it. And sure, some of that's silly and we can laugh, but there's a place to drop that silliness. Oh, so. Absolutely. And I think that one of the the really awesome things about being a homeschool mom, homeschool teacher is you know your kids so well that mm. you can, I mean, I, I always found that I could tell the difference between an academic struggle, something that just needed my attention, and a character or, you know, another, a heart issue that I was dealing mm -hmm. with. Those, those things seemed actually pretty clear cut as they were getting into that transition middle school, uh, you know, into high school. And I mean, those are, those are things that you're having to pay attention to through high school and, you know, as well. So, but I was always grateful for that relationship that, and, and just God working, the Holy Spirit kind mm -hmm. of impressing upon you. This is something that needs attention because of academics or this, you just need to stop and deal with a heart issue. Yes. Yes. So well said. So well said. Well, I'll end on the older student. And obviously the older student high school still has a lot of the same issues as the middle student. There still can be some awkwardness with them discovering who they are. There still can be some pushback as they're seeking more and more independence. But really, there's some other issues that come up. So first of all, I think that it's very important, especially if you're jumping into homeschool, is let's redefine our purpose. Like, why are we even here? And let's be praying about the purpose because are we just seeking to graduate this child from high school or are we seeking an educational framework that could move the student further down the road? Like, do they plan after high school graduation to maybe start a family or are they planning to pursue a career? And if they're planning to pursue a career, well, is it a career that's gonna require a trade school, a vocational school, a two-year program, or a four-year? Or is it going to require even more beyond that? So certainly beginning to pray about their purpose of your education. Don't lose sight of that. When they're little, we might get away with not being quite as well-defined, but by the time they're eighth, ninth grade, it's truly time to look at that. And that is an exciting time because that's God really working in your child. And then if, assuming that you're going to graduate from high school, well, there certainly has to be a plan attached and we measure the plan by counting credits because that's what our states are requiring. So if I could just talk real quick on credits, I don't know if everyone knows this, but a high school credit and a college credit are really not the same. Both reveal a certain amount of time put into a course, but an acceptable high school credit ranges from 135 to 180 hours that are put into a course in a school year. So clearly if you have a class that met even theoretically five days a week for an hour, well, you're going to hit 180 hours in 36 weeks. But let's say if you were a child in a traditional school setting and went to like a drama class that only met twice a week or some other elective, well, it may receive only a half credit because you're literally not hitting that 135 hours. Maybe you're hitting 70 hours. All to say when as homeschool parents, we are determining if a student has hit a full credit or a half credit, I think one gauge, and this will vary across the country, but one gauge would be 
if they're putting four to five hours in a week to the subject. That by definition is a credit in, you know, the confines of a school year. So right. that's just one thing to know. So yes, with your high schooler, you need a purpose, you need a plan, which is counting credits. And then last, I really think you need accountability. And maybe I'm speaking from my own experience of, again, I'm kind of the softy mom, right? I'm the not as organized as you think mom. I'm the one that doesn't feel like I can even begin to capture all my feelings and experiences on paper. So that means I might have a tendency to be more lenient with my students. At the same time, we took learning very seriously, but, you know, there's, there's ideals and then there's reality, right? Mm -hmm. So all to say, maybe accountability with someone other than you could be helpful. Like if I was the only one taking in all their grades, well, you know, we may have a power struggle or a temptation to even pad grades. And, you know, we want above all to have so much integrity in this department, especially as much of the world is now looking at homeschooling through new eyes. We want to be way above board on grades and what we're doing with them. Therefore, if you need another person to hold some grades, manage some grades, factor some grades for your student to turn in grades to. If you know that that might apply to you, go for it, do it. You know, find that mean aunt or a grumpy grandpa, or I don't know who he is or she in your life, but we wanna give an honest assessment of our student work because it may drop them in the right or wrong institution. And so, yes, accountability, I think is really important. Now, <clears throat> even when I say that, it doesn't mean you might not drop one low grade when you're averaging a set of grades for a subject, because certainly schools would do that, or it doesn't mean that you might not allow even a makeup test. Certainly some schools would allow that as well, but be reasonable and have a high standard. Keep a high bar for what you're really doing with grades. Well, and one thing I would toss in, you know, in this accountability, well, actually two things. <laughs> one is, you know, a, a co-op has really been a great blessing to us in the high school years for that very, for that giving them someone else to report to, particularly with my boys. That was a big deal as they were getting older to give them someone else because I found that their work being turned in on time for their co-op classes also impacted stuff being turned in on time for me. It, it kind of played off of each other. But then the other thing about the accountability of it, if we are not taking their academics seriously and we're padding grades or whatever, we are teaching them that that is okay. We are we are actually laying a foundation for something we would never say that we wanted to pass on to them, but that's something to really keep in mind. If we are li effectively lying about their work, we are we're really teaching them that that's okay. And so I would encourage everyone to consider the, what what are you teaching them through your actions, not just your words. Um, and that's one very specific way that that can come into play. Mm -hmm. Yeah be a strong role model. Yep. And I have to admit, I'm a sucker for honesty. Maybe for one, as a child growing up, I never was a good liar. My mom would just laugh at me if I would try to wiggle out of something because I just wasn't good at it. So even going to the movies, though I was the short girl and I probably could have gotten in on a child's ticket like half my life, you know, I would always tell the truth. Um, I don't lie very well. So um, <clears throat> hopefully that's a, a trait that a lot of homeschoolers will have. Yep. But anyway, I wanted to say uh, one little 
kind of as a gift to leave your listeners, I wanted to say this, Leslie, and that is if anything I said today is helpful to you, well, man, go for it and use it. But if for some reason it's not, my gift to you is that you can scratch it, let it go. You don't have to do what I did. Our families are all uniquely made by the hand of God. And I've just shared what happened to work well for us because again, I'm a, I'm a merry hearted kind of a mom and I loved learning, but I didn't like to quantify learning. That was hard for me. I don't like schedules. I don't like being confined by things like that. But I gave birth to students who really required more structure from me than what I had naturally. They began to really need some lesson plans. They began to need some grades as they matured. So I adjusted as I went and certainly gave more of that as they grew. So again, I just want your families to feel encouraged and inspired that they've got, you know, some wiggle room and and they've got the students that God gave them. So either use it or don't use it. But either way, just be excited about the opportunity. It's a gift. I'm so glad that we homeschooled our kids. Oh, no question. And the opportunities and, you know, just like you had said, the relationships that you build, mm. ultimately, that's what's going to be remembered way more than anything written on any assessment anywhere. So that is really the joy of homeschooling is, is shepherding hearts, building relationships, building memories, all of these things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also have another gift for your listeners. Yes. If they would like an MP3 on another workshop I have, I'll give it to them free as a gift. And the MP3 is titled the Dateless Lesson Planner. Nice. And it covers a lot of the, it starts with a similar approach to this where we're going to analyze if they're concrete and sequential or if they're abstract and random and then talk about how lesson plans can fit into that and help or hurt. So the way they can obtain that, and Leslie, I'll give you like a link that you could maybe drop into some show notes, but basically the coupon code will just be teach them diligently. So let's just use the name of your event and it's no caps, no spaces, but teach them diligently. We'll give them this free MP3, uh, the date free lesson planner. Oh, fantastic. And just since this will go on for a while, what would be the expiration date on that? So yes, thank you for asking. Yes, I set it up through May 31st. Okay. All right. So through May 31st, head on over to the link that I will provide from Linda um, and get that free MP3. I'm sure you will greatly benefit from it. So Linda, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been fun. It's yeah, I'm going to be thinking about those animals for a while. Well, you know, I have to add a quick one. We also have an appliance test and we looked at Heather was our toaster oven because, you know, they cooked really well, but every now and then catch on fire. (laughs) And Kyle was our microwave because he would do things fast, but they weren't well done. And the younger one was our crock pot because once she would get working, she would do so well. It just was so hard for her to get started. So... That's awesome. Yeah. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look around and just see how many things I can tie my children to. <laughs> what can I do? my lap. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. Everybody else, thank you for hanging out with us today. And I think we both look forward to hopefully seeing you at a Teach Them Diligently soon and yeah. definitely interacting with you online as the days go by. Thank, thank you, Leslie. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Teach Them Diligently podcast. 
We believe that every family is called to teach them diligently. So we're here to help. We would love to get to know you on site at one of our many events each year and throughout the year when you become part of the Teach Them Diligently 365 community. Go to www.teachthemdiligently.net forward slash podcast to get more details and resources to encourage and equip your family. While you're there, you can also pick up the show notes and additional information from today's show. It's our daily prayer that God will encourage and equip your family through Teach Them Diligently, and we'd love to hear from you. Send us a note or share your stories with us on social media with the hashtag WeTTD. God is doing great things within His families all around the world, and we would love to celebrate that with you. We'd also love to have you join us by subscribing to our podcast and then sharing it with a friend who could use a little encouragement as they too follow God's plan for their family. Hope you have a fantastic rest of your day, and I look forward to visiting with you again real soon.